It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, and we welcome you to our studios in San Diego. It's our Hacksaw Headlines Thursday podcast. John, the only words I can use to you before we start, buckle your seatbelt. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, I I just finished watching that Aztec game, and I'm still gasping for air. So what do we got going today, Hacksaw? Well, as we join you on the live stream we have an unbelievable number of breaking stories and details on breaking stories but before we start john tell people about fans forum how can they join us become our co-host at the end of our podcast and also how do people subscribe okay so you can get involved just uh, you have a hot take you a question for hacksaw drop it in the live chat on facebook or youtube we'll get your question on board you'll see your question and your avatar on the screen here and we'll have that in the fans forum segment at the conclusion of hacksaw's head Lines. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube, and then you know, click on that bell, get the updates for all of our video clips that we release throughout the week. And we invite you to check my website because it's all written and it's a compilation of all the stories in sports, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And anytime you sample what we're doing, make sure you give us a Thumbs up. John, topics on the table. Let's start with baseball. Okay, this one is an interesting topic. Breaking news here about the Phillies and their old stadium. I mean, this is mind-blowing. Tell me more. Philadelphia Inquirer did an investigative report on the old veteran stadium, which no longer exists. They went and bought four packages of the artificial turf from Veterans Stadium sent it to medical labs for investigation of toxins. After about three months, the labs got back to the Philadelphia Inquirer and said the samples of the turf that you had purchased contain 16 forever chemicals, chemicals that don't dissolve over time, chemicals that if they got in your body, stayed in your body. Why did the Philadelphia Inquirer begin this? Because six Philadelphia Philly players from that era that played at Veterans Stadium, have all died of brain cancer, the exact same form of brain cancer, all between the ages of 56 and 60. Wow. That includes Tug McGraw, Darren Dalton, Kenny Brett, John Vukovic, etc. The lab indicated that these toxins cause liver cancer, kidney cancer, and now linked to a very remote form of brain cancer. All six of those Philly players died from the exact same remote brain cancer that you hardly ever find in males. Amazing story. Connect the dots. I guess, and this rumor had been out there, that there were issues with that turf, which was put in by Monsanto. And then the second turf that the Phillies bought from Monsanto, they were in that stadium from 1977 to 2001. Mm -hmm. There's like 523 Philly players have been exposed to these forever chemicals that may have been taken into their body that never got dissolved. Connect the dots. It's a scary story. I don't know who you blame. Do you blame the Phillies? Do you blame the city of Philadelphia that ran Veterans Stadium? Does Monsanto as a company still exist? I don't know that. So that's the story that that just broke. 
uh, late Wednesday night. I don't know where it goes from here, but well, what a scary story. Well, isn't Monsanto the company that makes Roundup, you know, that you spray to kill all the weeds? Past uh, tense. Yeah, past tense. So, I mean, this is interesting because, you know, this going back to the era of those multipurpose stadiums when they did have the artificial turf and guys are blowing out their knee on the 40-yard line. But, you know, of all places, Philadelphia, you know, <laughs> makes you wonder, you know, where the fans throwing stuff on the field or, you know, but to, to take it seriously, the AstroTurf has come a long way in technology. Back in the 70s, it was like rolling out carpet on concrete. Now it's a lot better cushioned. It's a lot, it's less toxic, I guess you could say. Uh, but this is tragic that it's led to the death of Major League base, Baseball players. Well, the, the, they're trying to connect the dots here and the fact that each of these Philadelphia players who were there for a long period of time in their career all got the same remote type of cancer in the brain, and that cancer has been linked to some of those forever chemicals that were found in that ingredient. Connect the dots. I, I wow. don't know where the story's going to go. It's far from over, but that's the late-breaking story in Philadelphia. Next topic. Next topic. Okay. So as Padre fans, we're really curious. We've been hearing whispers about maybe Soto is working out a deal with Peter Seidler. What are you hearing through the grapevine? Well, what I've heard is that the, the Padres went back to Juan Soto's agent, Scott Boros, and said, let's continue this dialogue through spring training. I'm led to believe that some dialogue has taken place. Now, there's a number floating out there in the galaxy. I'm not sure where this rumor came from, whether or not. I doubt it came from the Padre side. It might have been leaked from Boris's people to their friends in the media. The number being floated is a 14-year contract to Juan Soto, $505 million, all-time record. It would be an average of $36.6 million per season, which would take him to the top pretty much over a long-term contract. There'd be a limited no-trade. There'd be an opt-out after the seventh year. If he was a superstar, superstar Hall of Famer, he could do what Machado did, go back out onto the open marketplace. I don't know that the Padres would leak this information. The agent might have leaked it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. But that's an inordinate amount of money to pay a player a 14-year contract <laughs> at 36-6. Reaction? Well, so how old is he now? He's 24. Four. So this would take him out to year 38. Well, it seems like you know, the magic number is to get over a half a billion dollars, right? Uh, so that's what this is all about, setting those records. Um Seidler just has a scheme here. He's got a plan. Can he make this work? Can the math work on all of these different long-term deals? The question is, how much can you afford to pay each of these guys, knowing you're going to have to get other players to replace players? And if you're going to go back into the big name, big money market, that's going to be more money. Because the minute you sign one guy to this level... The Tatis contract, that meant the Machado contract is here. That would mean the Soto contract is up here. I don't think you're getting a lot of discounts on the free agent market with superstars, mm -hmm. even if it is San Diego. Only time will tell whether or not they go forward here. Next topic. Next topic. We're going to go down here. So let's talk a little bit about Padres, Dodgers. Fernando Tatis is really off to a slow start in spring training. Ding, 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 ding. Nobody's, nobody's ringing the emergency bell yet. Uh, it, we're halfway through spring. Tatis is now 0 for 16 in the spring. The issue that I have or the concern that I have is he's been in full mode training for about a full month. I mean, he started doing all this batting practice over in Arizona before camps ever opened. And, you know, the pronouncements when he talked to the media, no problems with the wrist, no problems with the shoulder. 
I'm okay. Well, he's 0 for 16, and he's not putting balls in play. He's not driving balls to the wall. He's got no base hits. He's 0 for 16. He struck out some, but he's hitting weak grounders and short fly balls. My private concern, and I talked about this with you before, you had the two wrist surgeries. They have a huge screw in there. Has he lost the snap in his wrists? Because the snap in the wrist, the Henry Aaron swing, is what generates the power. And if he doesn't have that, he's got a problem. It's too early to make that judgment whether he doesn't have it. But I would have thought by this point he'd be putting balls in play. He'd be scalding balls. At least it'd be some line drive singles. And we don't have any of that. Uh, you know, it's hard to hard to gauge anything in spring training because all the Padres stars for the most part have now gone to play in the WBC. And Tatis is one of the few regulars that's still left behind. But Bears watching, you know. 0 for 16, does it become 1 for 27 in the next week and a half? I'd be concerned at that point in time. Uh, The Dodgers, Noah Syndergaard, two good outings in a row. You know, he's a year and a half now removed from the surgeries on his shoulder and what he had with his forearm. Syndergaard threw three shutout innings against the Padres, was clocked consistently at 94. That's pretty impressive. And the other thing right now out of, out of the Dodgers camp and Camelback Ranch, the two kid pitchers that we've been talking about have each thrown two solid outings. Michael Grove, Ryan Pepio. Those guys look like they're forging to the front of the line that's saying, I'm going to be the fourth starter. I'm going to be the fifth starter. And the Dodgers got an issue because Tony Gonsolin has just sprained an ankle, and he might not be ready to start the season in the regular rotation. So the two kid pitchers plus Syndergaard, Pretty impressive spring so far with Dodger Blue. Yeah, that sounds interesting with the Dodgers. I'm I'm happy for Syndergaard because coming back from the Tommy John is tough, but it's usually that second year is where they start to get some real traction. Um, And great to see the young kids coming up. But going back to Tatis, do you think maybe he's just trying too hard, you know, because the focus is on him and he wants to prove that he's still the old player? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he feels pressure. He got abused in two road games that he played. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got booed every time he came on the field. Welcome to what 2023 is going to be all about <laughs> for him. But let's let's give him a little bit more space. But, you know, if we're back here next Thursday and he's one for 27, I'm going to raise my hand and start to express a little bit of concern about the storyline and the scenario. Bat speed is one thing. The power behind the swing is the next thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, topics on the table. We've got a lot more. Before we move to the next topic, because we're talking hoops, uh, remind people about the fans' forum again, John. Okay. I'm still recovering from the Aztec game. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk hoops soon. But you can get involved in the live stream. You can drop a take, a question for Hacksaw. Just uh, type it in in the live stream, the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every night. It'll be there there first thing in the morning. Does not matter what sport you like. We do cover it all. And a reminder, you watch our stuff, give us a thumbs up anytime <laughs> you watch our stuff with our award-winning podcast. Let's talk hoops. March Madness. I mean, I am still this game that I just watched like an hour ago. The Aztecs, they they won, thank goodness, but it wasn't an easy win. Okay. Item one, talking Aztec basketball. Okay, here we go. Why don't you respect us? Mm. That's what Aztec fans are telling me. 
That's what they're telling the nation. Why don't you respect us? Well, I tried to figure out why San Diego State has had all the success from Steve Fisher through Brian Dutcher and guts no respect at all. On any of the national TV shows, and they're talking about college basketball, West Coast, well, UCLA is doing well under Mick Cronin, and Gonzaga is Gonzaga. Nobody ever mentioned San Diego State. Now, one sentence about the Aztecs and Brian Dutcher. I went back and did a little bit of research here. Let me throw you some numbers just about the situation. Brian Dutcher's record at San Diego State has been pretty doggone impressive. 144 and 46. Mm. That followed the legendary, should be in the Hall of Fame coach, Steve Fisher. Mark Few at Gonzaga, in the same window as Brian Dutcher, his record is 218 and 23. Mm. Really impressive. Yes. The difference why San Diego State gets no respect, Mark Fuse won 38 games in the NCAA tournament at Gonzaga. 38. Mm -hmm. Brian Dutcher, none. Mm. 0 for 3. And I, I think that's that's the reason. Unless there are victories and upset victories coming from San Diego State, there'll always be an afterthought as it relates to college basketball. The Zags got to the Final Four. The Zags have been in the Elite Eight. Aztecs went to the Sweet 16 once and out. That's why nobody respects San Diego State. That's the answer to the question for everybody's beefing and barking and bitching <laughs> about that. Aztecs, Colorado State. They live in unborrowed time. We have talked about how erratic the Aztec basketball team is, and they staggered and they struggled. And I think they got out schemed and out coached by Nico Medved, but they finally won because of their depth. Their guards bailed them out in the Thursday first-round game in the Mountain West Conference tourney. Biggs didn't play well at all. Colorado State has about five-and-a-half players, and Nico Medved got his kids just to man up and play rugged defense and find enough baskets late to climb back in the thing multiple times. So the Aztecs will march on. The Aztecs are going to the tournament. But as I've said probably over the last four weeks on our podcast, John, who is this basketball team who do you trust? Do you think they're living on borrowed time? Yeah, I sometimes I wonder, but you know, every game it's someone different, right? And that's what happened again today. You know, I remember one of the YouTube commenters that we were talking about in our last episode was always so frustrated with all the missed chippies, like in the paint. And we saw a lot of that today. But the Aztec defense was stout at the end. Um, you know, Ladie actually had a pretty good game, you know, for a guy that was off the bench. Um, Bradley, kind of sneaky, quiet, was, was effective. Um, so survive and advance. And so now what is this? 17 straight years they won in the quarterfinals in the Mountain West Conference. All I know is that Aztec Nation, they're all at the bar right now in one of the casinos with this big sigh of relief, and they're going to get ready for tomorrow. I'm going to stop at CVS on the way home and see if they have a deal on pacemaker machines because, <laughs> man, this has been a struggle. Let's go on to the uh, UCLA Bruins. Mick Cronin's got a team that's really playing well. They really play tough defense. They're living off the play of just a couple of their uh, guards. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez have had really good seasons, but now a huge blow. They lose one of their starting guards. The Defensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12 Conference, Jalen Clark, ruptured Achilles tendon Ooh. in the final game of the season, 
gone for the rest of the year. Now, they've got David Singleton, who's got a lot of experience, has stepped into the line to replace him. They've got a young kid in Amari Bailey. I just don't know if the Aztecs have enough firepower now that they've lost Jalen Clark. But... They're sitting there with 28 wins because they did struggle. They beat Colorado, but it's going to get tougher and tougher as we actually move into March Madness. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, UCLA, obviously a storied program, but it's nice to see them back at the forefront of not just the Pac-12, but of college basketball overall. they got a lot of great players there. Um, they should win this unless Arizona knocks them off somewhere down um, down the line here in this in these brackets. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting how – these teams, you know, number one seeds, they get in there against an eight seed and things get a little squirrely in, in some of these tournaments. And, you know, in a situation nobody ever talks about playing three games in three days or three games in 44 hours, the mm-hmm. way the schedule breaks down, that's pretty tough on these kids. So UCLA is now 28 and four. They march on into the Pac-12 tournament. College coach, he's not marching on. Next topic. Yeah, Jim Beheim. This was like a shocker that we just found out that he was actually going to be stepping down at Syracuse. Uh, they, they are not what they used to be. Uh, history should write that Jim Beheim made the Carrier Dome a place to be. That Jim Beheim recruited great kids from the Eastern Seaboard into Snow Country, Blizzard Country. Recruiting visit. I hope you can get here. Hope the airport's not closed. What a great job he did. But that being said, he was an old time guy. I look at it this way. This is the last of the legends to retire. Mm. You know, Bobby Knight's gone. John Thompson passed. Roy Williams retired. Dean Smith has left us. Coach K, Jay Wright, they've stepped away from the game. He is now the latest to go. 47 years. Played there, assistant coach there, became head coach there. I think hell of a guy, hard guy to deal with. Holy cow, rough edges everywhere as it relates to relationships with media. He invented his own defense. He's probably the last guy on the face of the earth that's playing matchup zone every minute of every day. Uh, he His program got into NCAA hot water twice. They've never really recovered from that. And now they might not even make the NIT this year. It'll be the second straight year that there is no orange basketball in the tournament. That being said, NCAA title, four times to the Final Four. Gone to the tournament 35 years. Wow. Phenomenal run. Uh, his, his coaching record is just equally spectacular. Uh, recruited the hell out of the East Coast. And, and he was part of the architect, he and John Thompson and Jim Calhoun, that made Big East basketball something you had to watch. And this <laughs> yes. this was in the same parking lot as when the Atlantic Coast Conference owned everything. And here came the Big East beast. And what a great program. But uh, I think it was probably time for him to step down. It just is not the same program anymore. The scandals zinged him. He really had a rough edge end of his career dealing with a media that asked tough questions. And I, I think somewhere, sometime soon, Syracuse needs to put up that statue in front of the Carrier Dome mm-hmm. because Syracuse basketball nationally is because of him. You know, I was watching part of the press conference after the game, and he was hinting that it wasn't his decision, that it was the administration maybe is asking him to leave, but he was being a little bit coy about it. But the week before the end of season press conference, he was berating the media. I will step down when I want to step down. 
Mm. Not what you write in your column or what you say on a talk. He was just typical Jim Beheim, <laughs> you know, punching bag with the media, mm-hmm. exchanging gunfire with the media. Uh, I don't think he was forced out, but I think there's a reality there that, okay, you've taken this and you've done such phenomenal things. We can't go on, but last of legends gone. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I always think of Beheim from a San Diego perspective that the game that was on the, the, the midway, you know, and it was windy and they were playing that, that zone defense and the Aztecs were doomed. And then a couple of years ago, Syracuse knocked them off. I think what Aztecs were a six, Syracuse an 11. And Buddy Beheim went crazy. Oh, he went crazy. Yeah. So, but yeah, back in the eighties, the big East was the thing to watch. I mean, Georgetown, St. John's, um, Villanova. I mean, I'm probably leaving out other teams. UConn was in there, Providence, and Syracuse. So it was great times. Yeah. Let's do something different here. I want to salute somebody else. Go ahead. Ask the question. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about what's going on with all of the other college programs that are here in San Diego, because we have a lot of really good teams here in some of the local universities. San Diego State's Ladies Aztecs been down forever, ever since they fired Beth Burns unfairly. Stacy. Hudson went into the transfer portal this year and came away with bigs, came away with talent. And she's always recruited good high school players. Composite team came together, 23-10. and 10. Now, they lost uh, to number one seed Nevada Las Vegas in the tournament. They were down 11. They shot their way back into the game, could not survive turnovers and fouls. Uh, Vegas wound up hitting 23 free throws in the game, and that was the difference. Vegas beat San Diego State's Lady Aztecs by three points. Stacy Hudson, whose husband is uh, at Fresno State as a head coach, Stacy is 23-10, and 10, best record they've had in a long time. They're going to go to the tournament. I don't know where they're going to be ranked, where they're going to be seated, but they're going to go. It's a pretty good basketball team. You know, they kind of play in the shadows of the men's program. Mm-hmm. Point Loma Nazarene is a Division II school. I mean, this is spectacular. Beautiful campus over there overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Don't get very much coverage at all. 27 and 3 this season. Nice. They've won 23 games in a row. 20 and 0 in the Pac West Conference, which is Division 2 basketball. Mm-hmm. They are on the roll to get to the NCAA Division 2s. They might win the thing. They have a 6 foot 8 forward, not not a transfer in, not a pay me guy. He's been here for 4 years. Kid named by the name of Caden Anderson. 22 points, 8 rebounds a game, shooting like 58% from the floor. And Mark Logie, the head coach, Division II powerhouse he's built here, he did the same thing up in the Pacific Northwest at tiny Whitworth College. Guy's been really, really impressive. So we'll keep an eye on Point Loma Nazarene. They're going to go to the Division II playoffs, and they're doing it differently because most Division II programs, and there are a lot of them around the country, they're all built with bounce backs and JUCO kids who are just showing up. Mm-hmm. He's done this with student athletes that have been there for four years. Yeah, that's remarkable. I mean, you got to give it up for for Point Loma. By the way, have you ever been to the baseball stadium at oh, Point Loma? Oh, I think that's nice. Yeah, that's like one of the best in the country. <laughs> Better than the Oakland A Stadium, yeah, I guarantee you that. You know, I'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, and and good on the Lady Aztecs. I mean, I watched some of the games, and UNLV is one of the top teams in the nation in women's basketball, and they played them very competitively. And yeah, they have some bigs. There's one young lady. Her name is Yummy Morris, which I thought was a kind of a fun name. Talented but she, kid. But she's a very, very good player. Um, so I, I think there, we have a lot of hope for this program because if you go back in time to the Beth Burns era, there's all the controversy. It's nice to see them fresh and rising. What I would wish they would do at San Diego State, and then we'll move on. 
I wish they would find a way to package some of the Lady Aztec home games as a doubleheader with the men. And, you, and you're going to fill the arena and let them get a sample of what Lady Aztec basketball is all about. Mm-hmm. But the retort, the response that I get is, Lee, we can't do that. We have season ticket holders only for Lady Aztec basketball. Where are we going to put them? Figure it out. This is all about giving the women's program much more exposure yeah. to all the basketball fans in the town. And this this has become a basketball town because of San Diego State. Next topic, NBA. NBA. So, yeah, a lot going on here with John Morant. I mean, off the field, he's one of the best players in the league. Amazing to watch him play. But now we're finding out he's uh, maybe getting a little trouble. Badass big guy. Uh, this is a great player who I think is headed down road, the wrong road. Uh, he's left the club. He's now going to be gone for six games as they continue these investigations at the NBA level of junk he's involved in off the court. He needs to separate himself from his posse because I think that's where all the problem is. It was an incident at a strip bar in Denver at 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday in which there's an Instagram video of him flashing a gun. While the police have indicated that there's not enough evidence there to charge him with a gun violation in the state of Colorado. You got that incident. There was an incident in Indiana with some of his posse in his car. Looks as if they pointed a gun at a car with Indiana Pacer fans and had a red laser light on it. There was another incident at a shopping mall with him and a security guard in a confrontation incident. And then a fourth incident that served, he's playing pickup basketball with some 17-year-old kid, and they get into an argument over hard fouls, and he goes in and gets a gun. What's this guy thinking? What's this guy doing? Why is this guy handing, hanging out with all these guys? If he doesn't straighten his life out, and Memphis, the team, is beyond itself right now because of his deportment off the court— you know what's going to happen to him? He's going to wind up in an alley with a bullet in him. Oof. If he doesn't separate the gang that he's running with away from the yard. They held a team meeting late last week. Steve Adams, the center who's hurt and is done for the season. He's a captain. Held a team meeting and said, you guys need to focus when we're on the road. This is about winning games on the road. It's not about partying with your friends on the road. And he was looking directly at John Morant when he was making the statement. I'm sure that's where the team meeting was focused. And and Memphis is they got three major injuries, three key guys, including starting center, and now gone for probably the rest of the season. And this guy's getting himself in trouble off the court. I hope we don't wake up one morning and find out that he's in an alley having been shot. He needs to step away from who he's running the streets with. Wow. Um, I, I had heard the story about the, the, the gun in the nightclub, but I didn't know about all the other incidents that you just shared. You know, we, we see this often, you know, where a lot of kids come from difficult backgrounds. They're suddenly have money on hand. Their posse grows around them, but they are still they're coached by the league, by former players on how to manage your life off the court. But sometimes they just don't take that advice. They don't listen. And sometimes it ends up really, really badly. All right, before we go to our next topic, remind people about how they subscribe to all the unique things that we're doing on all of our different platforms here on Hacksaw's Headlines yeah, Podcast. I mean, we're on a lot of different platforms. You can check out Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Um, we, what else? We got to get in on a couple of more of these social media platforms. So like, follow, subscribe, share, do whatever you can to promote the podcast, because that's how 
how it's going to grow from word of mouth from from sports fans like you. Uh, subscribe where you get your audio only podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. We're on all the platforms. And um, yeah, that that's you got a lot going on here, Lee. And when you look at it and watch it, give us a thumbs up because that helps us too. And check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's all written. It's there every night. It's there for you in the next morning. Move on. Let's talk NFL football. Yeah, the the Derek Carr signing just happened a few days ago, and now we're hearing all these rumblings about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it seems like something may happen with him. Well, the first surprise with Derek Carr, New Orleans, a four-year contract, big money contract with a Saints team. It's got big salary cap problems. They have till March 15th to rearrange more people, move them off the roster or restructure contracts. March 15th is the beginning of the new business year so they can fit Derek Carr's contract in there. I was surprised he lickety split committed to sign there. He had talked to the Jets twice. He had talked to the Saints twice. He never got to Carolina. Don't understand that because I think he would have flourished under Frank Reich. But Carr is a New Orleans Saint. There are going to be different starting quarterbacks with every team in that Southern Division now. Every wow. team's quarterback is gone, uh, you know, led by Tom Brady in Tampa. And Jameis Winston's obviously out the door in New Orleans. And there'll be a new guy in Houston, obviously a new guy in Indianapolis. So uh, fascinating to see him make that commitment. The Aaron Rodgers story. He did a Zoom call with the New York Jets one night early the next morning. Contingent of four people led by the owner, Woody Johnson of the New York Jets, flew cross-country to meet with him in Los Angeles, flew back the next day. Dialogue is continuing. I'm led to believe there's an agreement on a trade compensation to get him out of Green Bay. I think the deal is the Jets would give him a third-round pick immediately, and if he leads him to the playoffs, it could be elevated to maybe a second-round draft pick. Uh, Now, Green Bay, the contract value is $58 million this coming season. If they let him go, it's a $40 million cap hit. $40 million off their cap. Now, next year they'd be free. They'll have an absolute ton of money to use. And they do have the quarterback, Jordan Love, to replace him. But because of the way the contract is structured, the cap figure for the New York Jets is a heck of a lot lower. It's like $15 million this year. It bolts to $34 million next season if he were a New York Jet. So we're on the clock waiting for a message out of Green Bay. Is this the price? Because as I said, I didn't think there were a heck of a lot of teams that could take on that monster Aaron Rodgers contract. And then this morning, when I found out the cap hit is what the cap hit is, 40 plus million in Green Bay, that's 40 million they would not have to use to get free agents coming back in the front door. Uh, Your thoughts on Carr, your thoughts on AR? Well, my question to you is, is do you think the Saints are now a competitive team? And if the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, would that be the missing piece that they've been looking for? I think answers are yes and yes. Definitely yes in New Orleans, because they do have multiples of great wide receivers led by the kid from here, Chris Olave, the ex-Ohio State star from LaCosta Canyon. Uh, and, And they've still got Michael Thomas, who's had a lot of injury problems, but still a good player. And they've still got the do everything running back in Alvin Kamara, and they got a very good defense that they kind of rebuilt last season. So Carr would be a missing link that they don't have. And in terms of the Jets, I would think maybe Aaron Rodgers is a monster difference maker, but they've had so many injuries to the key components in front of that quarterback. They lost their top three offensive tackles 
last year with really bad knee injuries. And they had problems at center and guard. And I, I don't know if they've got enough star quality at wide receiver. But there's no doubt when you get a four-time MVP coming in the front door, that's a pretty good acquisition. Okay, next quarterback question. Okay, so we're talking here a little bit now about um, yeah, about Lamar Jackson. I mean, I know there's been news in, in Baltimore. And then Daniel Jones, we've been talking about how he is one of these up-and-coming guys. Looks like the Giants you know, s- snatched him up. Baltimore tried and tried and tried to negotiate a multi-year deal with Lamar Jackson. And there's just... There's just no progress because Lamar Jackson wants what Deshaun Watson got, which was five years guaranteed from start to finish, regardless. Baltimore says no. You know, Baltimore offered him two years guaranteed, big options for third, fourth, and fifth. The whole the whole thing is, are you healthy when you get to the third year or the fourth year? Or the league's caught up to the way you're running your offense, and maybe you're not that type of quarterback anymore that is worth $40 million. And the injury factor with Lamar Jackson, I think, is a piece of the equation. They tagged him. There's two franchise tags in the league. I can franchise tag you as a quarterback for $32 million. Now, you can franchise tag me to an exclusive deal that'd be worth $45 million. The difference is, at $45 million, I'm locked in. I can't talk to anybody. At 32 you can go across the street and see if you can do a better podcast with somebody else <laughs> and maybe get a better offer. Mm-hmm. But because I, I gave you the 32 tag, I have a right to match and keep. Mm. So he has the ability to go out and do deals. The thing is... Two number one picks for a star quarterback, that's okay. But I think it's it's got to be an organization that's going to build an offense that he needs to excel in, not somebody else's offense. And I think that that's a sticking point for Lamar Jackson. And in terms of Daniel Jones, I didn't realize this. He had a great statistical season, throwing the ball, running the ball. Giants had a nice season to let all caught up to him. He only threw 15 touchdown passes. Hmm. Only 15. Now, he was scrambling for his life all the time. And the big issue... You gave him four years, $160 million. He had less touchdown passes than Houston's quarterback, Davis Mills, who's about to get released. Hmm. And you gave him a $160 million contract. I, I hate to use the term, he held the Giants hostage, but he held the Giants hostage. <laughs> John, I like the kid. Kid competes. But four years, 160 he's had only one really good season. And that was just this past season. Mm-hmm. And even that wasn't a, a thing where he threw 41 touchdown passes a la Patrick Mahomes. So so you're going across the street to do a podcast with somebody else? I mean, or I, I can franchise tag you again. And what do you think about Jackson's contract and Jones' contract? I mean, well, with Jackson, are there other teams that maybe would step up and give him that deal, do you think? I, mean, I think there are teams out there that would say, okay, we'll, we'll give him a contract we want uh, because we like who he is and the kind of offense he can run. And I'd trade two number one picks if I can get that guy, and that guy's proven. I think his career record's 45 and 13. Yeah. And your thoughts on Jones? Jones is a guy that I'm still kind of trying to learn about because he wasn't, you know, he's on the East Coast. The Giants have been down in the bottom half of that division for a while. Had a great year. Is he worth it? I, still questioning. I mean, it seems like, like you said, he had a great year. But, you know, there's just a lot going on with quarterbacks around the NFL. I'm mean, even hearing rumors that Phillip Rivers might be coming back. No, that's <laughs> far-fetched. Okay. I think, you know, the next domino to fall is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo after the Aaron Rodgers decision is made. And that's got to be made pretty dug on quickly. Okay, on we go. Next football question. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. I mean, it's coming up next month. It's going to be here. Everyone's fired up. And now I guess Bryce Young has been in these camps and we're learning. He's like not that big of a guy. Well, everybody was concerned that he was wiry. And a lot of said, you know, gee, he's not even five foot ten. He weighs 184 pounds. Well, he measured just a shade over 5'10 and he cranked his weight up at 204. Now, whether he can maintain that weight or lose that weight once he gets into two-a-day practices and the regimen of the NFL remains to be seen. But here's the storyline. Last week, Chicago announced they were going to take offers on the number one pick. They're not going to take the quarterback. So if you need a quarterback, call me. Hmm. Area code's 312. (laughs) Then I found out Houston at number two is thinking of bypassing a quarterback. And they're going to shop the second pick in the draft. Wow. So if Bryce Young goes to somebody, I'm told it's Indianapolis, that's going to trade for number one. Bryce Young goes there. Who wants C.J. Stroud of Ohio State? I, and his stock is going up. Carolina's in the mix. The Raiders are in the mix. There's a number of people that might trade it in the number two spot. So when in the world, modern-day world, would you see the top two teams in the league bypass the two hottest quarterbacks? Now, the the storyline in Houston is this. There's a linkage here that Houston might dive in and try to sign Jimmy Garoppolo on March 15th when the window opens for free agency. If they sign Garoppolo, then you know they're going to trade out of the number two spot and start to drop back, and Chicago and Houston would probably take defensive players instead. So it's a fascinating story. Bears have got Justin Fields. Houston might wind up with Garoppolo. They desperately need a quarterback to replace Davis Mills. And all of a sudden, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are dropping down the board. Well, the the NFL has changed, right? I mean, it used to be you wanted that six foot five prototypical throw at eighty yards down the field, a guy like Ryan Leaf. Right? Now you want Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, now we want Patrick Mahomes or Kyler Murray or some of these guys that are just amazing athletes. But it it is, you know, I mean. Doug Flutie was like around the same size as, as as Bryce Young, right? I mean, so what's your take? Do you think he has an NFL future? Well, you look at the modern-day quarterback, whether it's the one in Kansas City or the one in Philadelphia that we saw dazzle in the Super Bowl. I think so because now they're devising very, very different offenses along the way. thing is you don't want your quarterback running because you know if he runs too much, he's going to get hurt. And that, that becomes a big issue. All right, so those are topics in uh, football. Before we go to another break, one last shot here for people to jump on board with their fans for him. Yeah, you can get involved. We've got, we got a number of people that are already in the fans forum waiting in line. But drop a take in there on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in, in the fans forum. It's going to be here just in a few minutes. And don't forget, when we're done, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Check out everything that's written. And whenever you watch any of our podcasts, our Monday podcast, the bonus package, or a Thursday podcast, give us a thumbs up. Would you? One final topic, and this is really controversial. This is, and it's like a soap opera that just never ends with Tiger Woods. And we're hearing about non-disclosure agreements and girlfriends. And what's going on here, Lee? Well, Tiger's career and his life turned upside down, obviously, by his mistresses and then by the divorce and then by the incidents in his vehicles, then the injuries, then the surgeries, then the comebacks. Beloved as he is, now we got another incident with another, quote, partner. He's had a woman that he has had a relationship with for about four and a half to five years. She used to work for one of his foundations. And he threw her out of the house, took her to the airport, told her you're not coming back, changed all the locks on his estate in Jupiter, Florida. End of relationship. She signed 
a non-disclosure agreement when she ended the relationship with Tiger Woods. That's the way he operates his life. Whether I love you or not, sign the NDA. Mm-hmm. She has gone to court wanting the NDA to be lifted, accusing him of sexual abuse, which ended the relationship. There is a law on the books. A Florida judge has now taken it under advisement. Uh, has the briefs made by both lawyers. There's a law in the books that if anything involving sexual harassment, sexual abuse, or sexual assault involves the NDA can be removed. And then she can go file suit, testify if she wishes, talk to anything, anybody about the relationship. Uh, not a good, not a good picture for Tiger Woods. No. His personal relationship problems are obviously still out there, regardless whether you root for him as a player. His personal life is now back in the spotlight under judgment again. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's difficult to hear this, and, and you know, obviously, if something's going on that's illegal, it needs to be investigated. But sometimes I often wonder if you know a guy like Tiger Woods, he's in the spotlight, a lot of money, a lot of attention, kind of just attracts a lot of these kinds of people into his life, and then he falls into maybe some of these behaviors, these patterns. Does he bring it on himself? Is he, he does, is he attracting the wrong kind of people? It's just a mess. Does he have the right to make his own decision as to who I'm going to get involved in and what I do when I get involved in? Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if I ever told you the story about the New York Post newspaper at the height of Tiger Woods' mess with the mistresses. Mm-hmm. They put out a Tiger Woods calendar, and each month of the calendar had one of his mistresses featured all the different women that were suing him. Really? It was unbelievable. Wow. I'm sorry, I couldn't get a copy for you, but I tried. <laughs> uh, just amazing. But again, to go, to point back, and it's, it's a very legitimate point that you make, John, you're making the decision as to what you're doing, how you're acting, who you're involved with, and mm-hmm. where you draw the line. Now we got this. And I'll guarantee you, if this judge removes the NDA, there's probably going to be a lawsuit against him for some form of sexual abuse. That's what she's saying. That's what the lawyers representing this woman in Florida are saying. A lot of topics on the table today. Okay, fans forum. Who's got questions? Because we got answers. Okay, let's see who we got here. And uh, actually, this is uh, some good stuff here from Wolfpack. And he's saying, yeah, right now, Tatis looks like a double-A player. He just, I don't know if it's lack of bat speed or lack of actual power. He, I mean, he's not putting any balls in play that are screaming line drives that are nabbed by the second baseman or fly balls that are pulled down at the warning track. He's just not there. But we still got three weeks of spring training to go. But I, I would have, Wolfpack, I would have thought this deep into his physical regimen, because remember, he started swinging bats and everything a month before the Cactus League team's open camp. So he, in essence, I think he would have been ahead of the curve. And he played on some backfield inner squad games, but that's kind of soft toss, swing the bat, and wow. Mm-hmm. But so far, 0 for 16. Let's withhold judgment. I just bring it up as a topic because it's something I'm, I'm looking at and saying, boy, this doesn't feel right. And obviously, you don't think it's right either. Yeah, well, I think Bob Melvin has already said he's not worried about this. And it's just going to take a little time. You know, he's had the three surgeries, took a year off, got a lot of media attention. I think to your point, let's just give him a little bit more time. But it is a bit curious. You know, we're kind of scratching our head. We're waiting for Superman to emerge like he always seems to do. Uh, But, yeah, it's just as 
as the world turns in the Padre world. You're not singing Kumbaya, are you? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay, next question. <laughs> okay, we're going to just go check out some of these YouTube comments because you always get so many great people um, that follow on YouTube and, and leave some messages. This is one from from Jake Ho 100, and it's again talking about the the whole Peter Seidler strategy for the Padres. It's a little long, but I think it's worth reading. And he says, "Not sure if it's fair to say that San Diego State blew it, right? Because that was what you were talking about, Axel." He says, "No one expected them to fill the stadium the first year unless they were doing spectacular things. Fans go to games to be entertained. Viejas is sold out. Obviously, Hoke and company know they need an entertaining offense to draw crowds." Look who they're recruiting offensively. Give them some time. I'm a longtime fan of all San Diego sports teams, including the, <coughs> the Chargers. And I'm excited about the Padres because of their approach and going all in instead of being half pregnant. I still go to San Diego State games. Well, the reality is there is no sizzle at Snapdragon. They lost it. That sizzle was their opening day against Arizona. I sat in the end zone with the fans. It was electric. I'd never seen that at an Aztec game. I felt so good for those kids running to the end zone before the start of the game. And the favorite Aztec chant, mm-hmm. we will win. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was gone by the third quarter, and it never, ever came back the rest of the season. And by the end of the year, 100, they were struggling to get 17,000 to show up. The whole upper decks, totally empty. And I'll circle back to the column I wrote. They did blow it. I told them way back, when they started to advertise one team, one town, Rocky Long Aztec football, Mm -hmm. I said, you need to go hire one of the former Charger executives who is not going to L.A. If you can find one that worked in marketing and sales, he could bring all those contact lists of all those corporate sponsors. Did they do that? No. And so... They finish up by playing in falling down Qualcomm Stadium, get hit by COVID, have to go to Carson for two years, lose everything, come back here, open the new stadium, charge exorbitant prices, and then put a really poor product on the field. Now, I will say this, because I happen to be a Hulk fan when I'm not arguing with him. (laughs) I I really firmly believe this is going to be one of the best home schedules they're playing all season. They got UCLA very early at home, and then they get Fresno, they get Boise, they get Nevada. All their hated enemies in the conference, they come into Snapdragon. So they got a chance to play really good people, beat really good people, and make a statement. Hopefully the offense is going to be better. Hopefully last year with Brady Hoke and all the junk they got involved in and his unhappiness with the media, hopefully that's a one-off and he can bounce back because the prize at the end of the road here is maybe the Pac-12 conference. So they got work to get done. Fascinating home schedule. I think it's going to be great. But I hope they have quality quarterbacking. They can put some sizzle in the offense to put the spark back into Snapdragon Stadium. Yeah, it seems like they they need some help with a lot of the, uh, like you say, the sales and marketing side of it to not only be able to promote what's going on at Viejas, I mean, at at Snapdragon, but also at Viejas. I mean, your idea for the doubleheader for men's and women's basketball is a great one. So the Aztecs, they have a golden opportunity here to capitalize in this marketplace. Uh, But yeah, you're right. They got a great line. Line up next year. Even, uh, you know, your Bobcats are coming into town. Well, Brady won't be talking to me the first week of the season because I'll be wearing green and white, even though my heart bleeds for red and black. But so we'll we'll see where it goes. The problem is, and the last part of the, his sentence, is the Padres 
did what the Aztecs should have done. Mm. And the Padres now have all the Charger corporate sponsors on top of the Padres corporate sponsors, on top of a big budget, first place team, fab four in their batting order, and they're going to draw more than $3 million and maybe they get to go to the World Series. Aztecs were left behind. Mm. That's, a, that's a tough break. Next question. Let's move on. So uh, this is uh, from Alan Molitor talking about golf wars, you know, between LIV and PGA. He says, yeah, I've been watching them all along. Very good at golf as a whole. I like the team's aspect. I mean, he likes LIV. You might be the first guy I've ever met that likes LIV. You might be the first guy said for my dog that watches LIV. <laughs> Nobody's watching LIV. Uh, I, I wonder deep in the heart of Dustin Johnson, and Sergio Garcia and Phil Mickelson, I wonder now if they think they made the right move because nobody in the States is watching them to play whatever good golf that they are playing. That's a big issue. And yeah, they got their guaranteed money, but it just, to me, it kind of comes off as LIV tournament. It's an exhibition. Doesn't really mean a hill of beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, TPC at Sawgrass this weekend, last week, Honda Classic, what we saw out here at Riviera. That means something? Damn right it did. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting hearing that some of these people uh, commenting on, on YouTube, there's a number of others that are fans of LIV, and I'm still wondering how I can get it on my television. Cable Channel D? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll see where it goes. And, you know, I, I quoted the statistic last week when uh, their opening tournament, LIV Mexico City, nobody showed up to watch it. LIV Mexico City had 288,000 viewers. The Honda Classic last week had 2.3 million. Do you see a little bit of disparity there? Just a little. Just a little. (laughs) Next question. Let's move on here. So uh, this is from Andrew Williams. And just talking about all the rules changes in Major League Baseball. Um, Hey, Lee, do you think the the Padres, with Nola behind the plate, will have even more problems with running game given the new rules? I'm especially worried about a Darvish-Nola battery. I like Nola, but he's not very good at throwing guys out. I think Camposano has to be the catch this year, but he's got to prove mechanically. That's a real good question, Andrew. He's got to prove mechanically he can handle the pitchers, communicate with the pitchers, make the right calls with the pitchers, and by the way, if the ball is in the dirt, block this stuff. None of this reaching like this or lunging like that as the ball goes to the backstop. For a guy that's been in their organization four years, mechanically he still looks a little bit flawed. Um, I do think he has – they paid him a lot of money. I mean, this is one of the first barrage of international players they signed. He's got to have a breakthrough season. Nola will give you everything he's got, but you know, Nola's not an all-star by any stretch of the imagination. So only time will tell here. And in terms of the rules, I mean, it's still fascinating. I watch a, a wide variety of exhibition games from the Grapefruit Circuit early and sometimes from the Cactus League late on MLB. And it just, the pitchers just, they lose focus. They're looking at the bloody clock, and the Mm -hmm. clock is ticking. And all of a sudden, the pitchers just come apart. And I still see the batters occasionally stepping out of the box. You're only allowed one time to step out of the box and adjust my gloves. Bad habit to change. Got to change it, you know, because otherwise it's a strike. So they're going through a learning curve. The most interesting comment I heard this week, Shohei Otani left the angel camp to go join Team Japan in the WBC. And he was asked through the interpreter what it's been like the first two weeks in camp and actually pitching in games. And he says, I really feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, The minute you get the ball back from the catcher, that clock starts. That 15-second t- clock starts. 
and the guys just seem rushed. They can't think through what didn't work on the last pitch. You can't make an adjustment because you got to be on the mound, get into your move towards home plate. I think it's tougher on the pitchers right now from a concentration standpoint than it is on the batters. Batters just stay in the box and get ready for the next pitch. The pitchers have so many things mechanically that they need to think about and then get the sign. And if there's a guy on, they got to look over there. And how many times do I throw there? Do I not throw there? And you get bulks. And I, I think the pitchers are the ones that are going through a real rocky time. But like I say, we got three more weeks to get these guys to channel it in. Okay, one more question here on Fans Forum. Okay, so let's uh, let's go here and let's get uh, Walter involved. And uh, talking about you know the assets maybe going to the Pac-12. He said, SMU is struggling in the American Conference. Why would you want them? SMU is not giving you the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. TCU with their success being barely popular in Cowboys and Longhorn country. Well, a couple of uh, things. This is not so much about the football programs. Uh, this this is about TV sets in the San Diego market and the Dallas market. But, Walter, you raise a great point. Nobody's watching Aztec football on TV. I doubt anybody's watching Mustang football in Dallas-Fort Worth on TV. So do they really bring TV viewers? And this is not a sexy Pac-10 conference now with Southern Cal and UCLA gone. Even if the Aztecs become a member, are you excited? Aztec Stanford, Aztec Washington State, Aztec Oregon State. Mm, you know, unless yeah. the wife is saying you got to go do grocery shopping, <laughs> you say no, I got to stay home and watch State. Does that really light your fuse? If it were Aztec, USC, UCLA, oh yeah, damn right. Yeah, so I think that's a real big issue. And in terms of the big picture, I mean, the rumors are flying. Uh, San Diego State, SMU doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, rumors are Pac-10 conference would keep Oregon, Washington, the corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State. Maybe they do an interlocking schedule with the Big 12. I could see that. There's a wild rumor out there. Maybe they do an interlocking schedule with the ACC. So your non-conference games, the Aztecs would play people from the ACC. Now, you wouldn't get Clemson every year uh, at San Diego State, but they would rotate in and out with the other Pac-12 schools. So, you know, Oregon Clemson's pretty sexy. Oh, yeah. Washington, North Carolina State. That's not bad. Or mm-hmm. Washington, Florida State. And then you sprinkle the others against the remainder of the Pac-12. But those are the rumors out there. Nobody knows at this point. I think within, by March 30th, we're going to have a, a, a definition of what the Pac-12 TV contract looks like. And then we'll know whether or not there's going to be expansion or whether they just go with 10 schools now and see how it filters out. Yeah, this is very interesting how there's a lot of options. But I, I remember one of the other YouTube commenters had made a point that for the longest time, the Pac-12 would never take BYU because of for religious reasons. And now here, Southern Methodist might be brought, brought into the Pac-12. It kind of makes you wonder, what, what are their standards? What's their selection criteria? TV sets. I think that's all they're paying attention to. And I... I just don't think it's it's the end-all, be-all. Hey, listen, we appreciate you being with us. We're here every Thursday. We do the full podcast. We do bonus podcasts on Monday with all the late-breaking stories. Please subscribe, and when you watch us, give us a thumbs up along the way. And go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, because I write on it every night. You'll see it in the later evening. It'll be there first thing in the morning. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll be back to argue again Monday, unless you've <laughs> gone across the street to do another podcast. 
I'm going to just try to hang on and watch the Aztecs go as far as they can. And our thanks to our executive producer, Nona, the Black Lab, the Barking Black Lab Retriever in the background. Have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you next Monday. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.